Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy or making effective changes to old practices. Your lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to make the special education classroom a welcoming and intellectually creative space for students of all levels. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is Eugene Harrison of Richmond Secondary School in Richmond, British Columbia, Canada. When I asked for a suggestion for one of my first guests on this podcast, the name that came up quite quickly was Eugene Harrison, who apparently is making quite the name for herself at the district level for all of the really fun and innovative things she's doing in her classroom. Eugene teaches resource and LSS. Resource and LSS, or LS Learning Services, is a class for students who are in the regular or academic stream at their high schools, but are needing some additional help from a teacher. These students, usually known as high-end students because their particular need is of high incidence in a population, usually are students with ADHD, ADD, dyslexia, or just students that need that little bit of extra personal coaching. The life skills part of her job is one we got into right away in my very first question. So without further ado, I'm giving you Eugene Harrison. So one of the reasons that I wanted to interview you is um, because I know that you have a, a philosophy around teaching student, like low incidence students, so mm-hmm. students with somewhat profound disabilities at times, about the fact that everyone deserves to learn, which doesn't seem like it should be a radical, innovative mm-hmm. <laughs> stance. But I, I've talked to, unfortunately, a lot of teachers that really... Um, believe that if a student isn't able to do the regular curriculum, that the resource classroom is a holding place, a babysitting place for them Mm -hmm. until they graduate, or that the only learning they should be exposed to has direct life skills, uh, like that, you know, count, they should only learn to count money or they should only learn how to take the bus. And I think it's so cool how you're teaching students saying like, no, you deserve to be able to learn and learn something new, even if it's not, you know, scientific method, it's something new for you today. Right. I, I, (laughs) I'm pretty new at, um, sort of resource. Is that working good? Yeah. Um, I'm pretty new to this. Like I don't really have, like this is my second full year. Um, some of it is like, I need to do things that I like to do. I don't want to be teaching the same thing over and over again. And some of it is sort of the structure of how our school deals with the kids who are on a fully modified program. Quick note here, when Eugene's referring to a modified program, what she's referring to is a curriculum that is individual to a student's needs, but is not necessarily resulting in a high school diploma. These classes were kind of created to, I guess, deal with the students who may not benefit from a regular English class anyway to all be in a literacy classroom. 
and we have a numeracy class. We have a living class, which actually does sort of teach those life skills of taking the bus, cooking your own food, using the microwave, um, being safe online. And we also have an inquiry lab, which is science. Yeah. Which is really cool. You're the first teacher <laughs> I heard of that was doing inquiry lab in a yeah. resource classroom. Could you maybe talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So one of the administrators, uh, um, he approached me and said, Could, would you teach a class called inquiry lab? And I was like, that sounds good. <laughs> what do you want me to teach? And he basically said, you could do anything you want as long as it's inquiry based and it gives the kids some whatever. Yeah. And I thought, well, great, because these students don't really get anything from science or art. Um, they don't often, if they have fine motor, can't do music either. Some of them do do music and are great at it. So this is a class where I could take them to the garden and they could do gardening or I could do art projects or I could do science experiments with them without having to worry about um, them following the scientific method or writing up a lab or any of those things. Um, so I have done that, and it's one of my favorite blocks. Mm -hmm. um, we actually paired up with another science class in the school system, or in the main school, mainstream. And that class is a senior grade 11, 12 science for citizens class. So that's sort of our buddy class. And we've that's done... Awesome. We've involved, like, Richmond Food Security Society, um, who... Richmond Food Security does like a bunch of community gardens in 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 Richmond, and they also do Sharing Farm, and they do um, uh, pollinator gardens, all those things, mason bees, um, and so they're working with us as well. Um, and so we do a garden, and we harvest. We're gonna try to do a market this year. Wow! Um, the students actually this year, last year we did the garden and harvest and a cookout um this year we have like the tower garden oh which that is looks really cool indoor space age thing <laughs> it has, it's got led lights it's got it waters it's completely soilless has no soil plants grow out of this tower um the water gets pumped up through the middle and it rains down um so we've been growing and harvesting from that and you know cooking um, and then this year we actually joined with another class called LAND, which is our senior students that have recently immigrated or international students whose ELL level is too low to be in regular stream classes in their grade. Um, and this is a program just to get them acclimatized in, yeah, and experienced with the culture and English language and, and some work experience. So that's our third, our second buddy class. And so the three classes this year have focused on climate change Ooh. and food. And um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a learning, for, like, you know, you're, we're learning as we go because these are students who, you know, aren't very high academically, don't know very much about climate change, don't know very much about food. They eat mostly junk. And we've been trying to get them to think about their food choices and what they eat and how food is grown locally. We've gone on field trips to Britannia and Terranova. And we're going to Musqueam tomorrow, Ooh. Musqueam lands, to see what they're doing and just to see what the history is and, and has who that those been, people are. 
I like I know that for BC in general, involving an indigenous perspective has become a big part of the mainstream curriculum. Have is this kind of new to you guys too and in involving it into the resource curriculum? Um I'd say people are trying different things. No one I think a lot of teachers are hesitant to in to do first peoples. Um what is that called? First first peoples learning principles of learning. Um, and our way is to just go and visit mm. the traditional territories that we live and work and play on. Which and, is a big step in itself. Right. Um, so we'll see how it goes tomorrow. But um, the idea is to show the kids, like, you know, what is grown, what has historically been food in Richmond and what we have grown and what can grow in Richmond. And then we're also going to see um, Garden City Lands, which ha- there's um, Kwantlen College, does a learning farm there. So we're going to see what sort of is the future of food in Richmond. <laughs> Very cool. And I know for a lot of ELL students, a lot of international students, depending on the country that they're coming from, this might be the first time that they've been in a school where they are all integrated with students with any type of disability, whether it be... Absolutely. Yeah, intellectual or mental, physical. How, how has that integration been? Um, so this class of land students have been amazing. Oh, that's They're awesome. They're a really sweet bunch of kids. It's not often that we work with a group like that. Um, and they, yeah, they have been really great. I did a session, like a demystification session with them where I talked about, I read them a story about a dinosaur who wanted to be a ballerina and obviously had, you know, it was difficult for the ballet um, school to accept this brontosaurus. <laughs> and, um, and in the end, they, the school changed. The school made it outdoors to uh, include dinosaurs into ballet school. And so that sort of um, change the student's perception of what can be done in education. And I think they really enjoy that story. And then I went on and talked about like all the students that they're going to be working with. And they're a really nice group. And so it's been working really well, even with the language barrier. Like They are completely comfortable coming into our room. And whenever we cook, they come in and help. Um, sometimes they'll come in on their own and say hi. We've written invitations back and forth, like, <laughs> would you like to join us for harvest? Or And then they will write an invite back and say, would you like to join us for some video? Or So it's been really positive. There has, We are also doing, on a different project, we're doing Biennale, the Biennale um, Public Arts Work Project. And we have a we have a professional artist coming to work with us and another art class and an ELL2 class. So a different, and that group is very difficult. (laughs) (laughs) What are some Um, challenges that you anticipate in terms of integrating with that challenging class? We've had some like icebreakers where we try to get them to do like a scavenger hunt together. And um, with that group of students, it's hard. They're always on their phones. They're not speaking English, which... I mean, I completely understand if it's not your first language and you have a person beside you who speaks your first language, you would, you would, you know, um, not speak English. But it's hard because our students are, 
are actually English speakers, and um, they don't understand when you know their group members aren't speaking English, and they feel left out as they do when they're in regular classes. I yeah. think that our students who are in life skills feel left out a lot. Um, so it's hard. And kids being on their phones, our kids aren't on their phones. Some of them don't have phones, and if they do, they have no interest because a lot of them who are on the spectrum don't really care about that. Texting your yeah, friend. Yeah, texting, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, been, that's a challenge. We're, I don't know how to work through it. It's actually, we're kind of stuck. <laughs> wow. But, like, good for you for trying it. Even, and even that exposure, I think, is just so important. Um, like, from my perspective, I went to a private school growing up, which now I realize very problematic in many ways. But one of the big things was they wouldn't accept anyone who didn't fit, like, a neuro and physical Yeah, like, like a neurotypical. And, um so coming into the public school system was such a shock for me, but was so cool. And I got to watch my new, my new classmates and interact with people with a variety of disabilities and sort of learn from watching them. And so I think it's so great that you're doing that for the ELL students because in teaching the ELL students, um, especially those that came later, I would often notice that they didn't have that same ease as the kids that were in the same classes right. as someone since kindergarten, for instance. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it depends on the class dynamics and like who, yeah, it's yeah. it's difficult. I, I don't know how we're, we're trying to do, I guess we're going to try to introduce some sharing circle to see if that will open people up a little bit and, uh, we have a field trip planned on Monday. So many field I know. trips. You're amazing. <laughs> um, and we're going to Spanish Banks to see the public furniture, like that big wooden structure. Okay. And um, Kitsilano Beach to see another artwork that's like a bunch of steel chairs on the beach, all facing in different directions and with some, I don't know, I think there's some um, words on it that are supposed to make conversation. So... Um, hopefully we can get some engagement there. Yeah, that group is going to be creating a video of the art and their group and how the art changes their relationships with each other, which is wow. like, wow, I, I don't love know that. if that will happen, but um, we'll see. <laughs> but you at least have them primed and thinking about relationship building, which is the first step. Hopefully. Hopefully. Hopefully, Yeah. Do you have a particular unit or um, lesson that you are proud of? Um, I. That's a hard question because there's lessons that I think are amazing but aren't that amazing, really. <laughs> um, I always said it, it'd be easier to teach if there weren't students there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, like a one-off, I'd say, like, I had a dry ice experiment that I did last year um, that involves, like, um, the five senses and dry ice. So they looked at it. They We squeaked it so they heard it. Um, and then we did bubbles, and it um, sublimated and through fog everywhere. So we, exp- we felt it. And then they got to taste it. We put it in water and made carbonated water so they could taste it. Um, yeah, and we did, like, dry ice bubbles, and they blew 
they blew smoke into bubbles, so that was really cool. That would be sort of my, um, yay, my best, my best lesson ever. Um, that seems yeah. like super accessible to a lot of different kids. Yeah, well, except one, yeah, it, I have to be careful because um, I also did painting with them, like bubble painting, and some of my students drank the paint. Oh, no. <laughs> so I was like, okay, this is when we're either blowing out yeah. so they can blow the bubbles. I'm not getting them to sip the bubbles. Exactly. But then they had to actually drink the carbonated water, and some of them do use straws. Yeah. So it was like that sipping but blowing. Of, yeah. yeah. A little, little confusing. Yeah. <laughs> So this classroom looks very different from what I remember it, and I yeah. believe, from talking to your colleagues, that you are the impetus between all these really cool changes. Um, unfortunately, our listeners can't see all of them, but we've got some really nice neutral colors, uh, lots of woods, um, and really cool stations set up all around. So maybe you could talk about some of those things that you've been doing. Yeah. Um, so my background is elementary, and I've been looking into sort of flexible seating. And um, and I worked in a in a preschool environment previous to getting a TTOC job. And um, preschool is all about Reggio Emilia, which is like um, the environment as a third teacher. So I thought for these kids who are they don't really have a set curriculum in high school like why not use the environment as sort of like as a welcoming um, something that teaches them about social emotional um, learning and just making them feel comfortable so the classroom is like sort of a living room we have a little lounge area with a carpet some you know um, more comfortable seating cushions um, the lighting is dimmed. We try to keep the fluorescent lights off and have lamps. Um, and then I try to bring in manipulatives so that we're always using a lot of man- man- manipulatives. Um, some of it has worked, some of it hasn't, so it, it varies. What would have been some like hit manipulatives? Um, we do something that actually a lot of kindergarten classes do called counting collections. And it's just a baggie with objects in it. It could be like beans or beads or ribbons. And I have a collection of like 50 or 60 baggies and they're all color coded according to how many are in the bag. So zero to 20 and then 20 to 100 and then over 100. Um, And in our numeracy class, we get the students to grab a baggie, grab a placemat, and then they count. And um, for some of the students, they're counting one to one. Some of the students are learning their numbers to 20. Some of the students are counting to 100, and they're learning to count by twos or count by fives. Some of the students are a little bit higher than that, and they're taking bags over 100, and they're learning to like um, sort them so that in groups of whatever they want, they might be count by, counting by twos or tens or 20s. I had a student count by 25. So it's just sort of getting them to think of number and sort of, and that directly applies to sort of their everyday life. If they were buying eggs, they're, you know, counting by 12s. Or if they're um, 
trying to do bracelets. They're counting their beads. Like, how would you count them most efficiently? And and it's sort of an activity that can be for someone who is counting to 10 and someone who can count over 100. And it's very... So very differentiated, yeah. self-differentiated. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And so we try to do a lot of activities activities like that because we have a huge range from um, students who are nonverbal to students who can do have their multiplication tables memorized but um, can't do much more than they don't understand what multiplication means they just have yeah. it memorized so there's a lot of different abilities in this room cool. so the beanbag chairs and the wobble chairs and the whiteboard tables like what is the philosophy behind all of that stuff so that is in our resource room where students come in for resource help and so just, just one block a day to get yes, supplemental right. help yeah and it's in small groups so there's um, anywhere from three to five teachers in the room, and each teacher will have um, three to f- six students. Um, and so that was just to provide some flexibility in terms of like um, where students can sit, and also c- to create a cool, like a space that's I don't want to say cool, but because that's not the word that kids use anymore. But like you know, a space that kids want to be because there's so much stigmatism with resource our school is really academic and all the students here are like you know in IB or university bound and no one wants to be in resource so um a group of us were thinking well let's make it you know a better place to be so that other kids will see and be like wow what's going on in there why I want to hang out in there so we started um one of my colleagues Ellen she had this idea after one of the protees to do like a, a de-stressing thing for the kids. So we have Cafe 109, which runs, we were running it in the mornings and we switched to after school now. So we have dim lighting, we offer hot chocolate, we put the TV on. Sometimes we put a movie on, sometimes we put like a documentary, but it's just playing in the background. Kids come in, there's music playing um, and they hang out. I have to say, this is the first time I ever stepped into a resource classroom where kids were there after school voluntarily. Yeah. 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 So we kind of wanted to change the reputation of resource, I guess. And the the culture, too. Yeah. So that they want to be there and they want to come in because it's not just after school. We want them to come in, you know, when they're feeling like they need a bit of support or they need even... I mean, we don't provide emotional support. We're not, that's not our job description, but a lot of students need that and actually come for that. And, you know, counseling is really run off their feet. So we're doing a little bit of that and just a place for them to feel safe yeah. and included, basically. Hopefully. <laughs> I, I definitely think so. <laughs> Some fun vocabulary for the next part is TOC which stands for Teaching on Call, which has actually recently been changed in the Richmond School District to TTOC, meaning Teacher Teaching on Call. Um, Basically, it's a sub. Students see you and they say, oh, a sub's here. I've never had a student say, oh, who's going to be our TOC today, Ms. Levin? But yet, as teachers, we are faithful to the new vocabulary. So have you had any resistance or opposition to some of the things that you've been doing in the classroom? I have to say that I haven't. That's awesome. Like it's, it, is, has, it has been really awesome. Like I, um, I have to, like in my life, 
I haven't gotten too much resistance either. Like I've traveled and been in really dangerous situations, but someone's always been there to help me through it. Or I've never experienced a negative, anything negative. Um, so I came here to Richmond Secondary and got offered the job. And then I said, I want to do this. And they said, sure. And then I said, let's do this. And they said, they said, sure. And I said, can I have the bigger room? They said, sure. <laughs> and then I said, can I have the other side of the bigger room? And they said, okay. Um, and then we started getting furniture for the resource room. And yeah, we got beanbag chairs over there. We got like wobble chairs. We got whiteboard tables made. Everyone just was like, yeah, let's do it. And it's not, I mean, it's not just me, but I think it, I happened to land where there are some new people and new administrators and new EAs. So the team is sort of new and everyone's sort of like, yeah, let's do, let's do this. Um, so the room is basically whatever I want it to be. And then I took over the other, I didn't take over the other room, but I said, let's do this room too. And so, yeah, I haven't really had much resistance. I think and part of that's your personality. It's really hard, I imagine, to say no to you. <laughs> Maybe it's also timing, I think, because other teachers were like, this never happens. It's like you come at the right time. So maybe timing. And I waited a long time to get a teaching job. Like I was TOCing forever. I couldn't get on the TOC list forever. So I think timing. Patience. Yeah. And then you finally got it. Well, and then with that court ruling and all the money being yeah. put back into the system, I think it was good timing. And, um, and I have not experienced resistance, so I keep pushing. <laughs> <laughs> I like that philosophy. Are there any innovations or new ideas that you were thinking like, oh, I could try that and then ultimately have decided not to? Or have you been able to just run with everything? Oh, yeah. Like the manipulatives and the loose parts, I, w I had this idea of, you know, students walk in, there's provocations, you know, like, um, and beautiful materials set out. And they can do whatever they want because it would be so inclusive and it's, you know, it caters to every level and it would be so open-ended, but it completely flopped. Like, students, especially students who are on the spectrum or even with Down syndrome, um, they need step-by-step -step instructions. They need to follow something. And so having open-ended materials was just like, they know what to do. Yeah. Or they threw things. Or they... Or they just decided to mix it all together. <laughs> and how long before you went, like, you know what, I'm going to change this? Um, it, yeah, so last year, my first year here was when I came with all of that um, sort of new, I guess people are doing that in the district, in elementary mostly, um, doing this provocation thing where it, was, it would be like a question and then materials to manipulate. Um, we tried that for the first term. It wasn't working. We had to provide a lot more structure. And so it sort of died down. And now we use the manipulati manipulatives in a very specific way for each student. Cool. And what is the best part of your job? The best part is, um, oh, I have to say, it's sort of really freeing not to have curriculum that I need to cover. It's um, like I, I do assessments, I, I write report cards, but it's very descriptive. 
um, I write a paragraph for each of my students for each subject, like I, and I don't have to give them a grade. And that is, I love that. I don't like grading them. I don't like assigning numbers to their work or to them because ultimately it's a label and and I think it separates people when we grade because really it puts them in a, an order. And so for this program, we're not required to give letter grades. We're not required to give percentages. We're, um, we give work habit and we, and we try to be as descriptive as possible on like, what are they learning? Are they meeting their IEP goals? And that's it. And I really love that. Do you get any pushback from parents who are used to maybe more traditional models about what you've been doing in the classroom? Not for these students because they are all modified. Um, in our LSS group, they're not even there because they are more concerned with the academic subjects. Um, I definitely think it would be really cool if, you know, the academic subjects, those teachers took on a no-grade policy, and I know some schools are doing that in the district, um, I would totally be on board with yeah. that. And in, in terms of, like, the way the classroom is set up, because it doesn't look like a traditional classroom, you haven't had any negative feedback there either? No. Um, I, like, I keep a blog, and I try to get parents involved, and I want them to look at the blog and look at the e-portfolio, and no one looks. <laughs> <laughs> I look at the stats and it's like two people have checked what their child has been doing. It's a little bit sad. I know. But it's all online. When I, when I had Twitter for teaching, I would put like those almost like clickbait. It's like, if you go to Twitter, I'm going to reveal one of the questions that's going to be on oh, the test. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should try something yeah. like that. But no, but yeah, all of the kids' work is on e-portfolios, and I have a blog full of photos, and no one looks at it. One day. <laughs> you will look at it. I'll look at it. We'll put a link on the show notes. There we go. If you had a resource teacher who was coming to you and saying, Eugene, oh my God, I'm being placed in a life skills classroom. What are like three things that I need to know? What would those be? Oh, um, working with other adults is the first oh, thing I would say. Interesting. Can you expand on that? Um, because if the other adults, you have, like, the people who actually work one-on-one -on -one with your students are the EAs in a life skills classroom. And so that's the educational it's, assistants. Yes. And they know the students the best. Like, as a teacher, you're sort of planning for all the kids, but individually those EAs are are your and if those people don't like what you're doing you're not going to have any success so I think the first thing is make sure that you're creating a culture and an environment where all, everyone's voice is heard and that you're taking into consideration how people operate and what they've always done and and what fits for each for everybody. Um, I'm still struggling with that. <laughs> um, and I guess number two would be environment. I still think that's really important. If you can create like a learning environment that's welcoming for those students and welcoming for other students to come in and hang out with your life skills kids, that's pretty important. And then um, I guess the third thing would be like 
having relationships with the students, like spending one-on-one time and getting to know them. And you mean treating them like people? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And finally, for our last question, a question that I hope to be asking all of my guests, all about unlimited funding, a teacher's dream. So if you had unlimited funds... And let's suppose we also got you a nanny for your children <laughs> and a personal chef oh, yeah. for your family. That's great. <laughs> um, what would you do? In terms of the In, classroom? Yes. You can't take my money, oh. my hypothetical money, and jet off to Hawaii, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. I do have a plan for money. If you give me money, I, I'm going to take this wall down. Oh, I'm going to take this wall down, which is like between two windows in my classroom, and open it up and have a garden out there. And then oh. it would be like indoor-outdoor space with oh. garden. And um, I tried to put in a work order for this, but it didn't go through. Surprisingly, oh, yeah. something that would be <laughs> thousands and thousands of dollars. <laughs> but I admire you putting in the work order. Because um, our garden right now is on the other side of the school. It's far, especially for our kids who have m- mobility. So we don't get out there. At, we try to get out there, but it's not right here. But if it was right here, we could have, like, bird feeders. We could have, like, a pollinator garden. It would be blooming and flowers and vegetables. It would be all in one because we already have the kitchen. That would be pretty cool. Oh, yeah. You've kind of compensated with your indoor plant structure. Yes. But Which, um Yeah. But it would be really cool if it was outside. Like, um, it's really hard to take... Okay, it's not hard to take students outside. It's hard to take my adults outside. <laughs> but if it was right here, I could send students and adults can just chill. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. So if I had money, I'd do that. So there you have it, Agent Eugene Harrison, with an important mission of acceptance, innovation, and gardening. Hope to see you next time on Lesson Impossible. I was your host, Aviva Lennon.